You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We're going through a series, a new series called Forward, and this is our third week. Basically, this is a series called Forward. Everybody say Forward. It's a nine-week series on discipleship. Now, this is our third installment for, our, uh, for this nine-week series. We've actually defined disi- uh, a disciple or basically what is a disciple. Well, first of all, we need to understand a disciple is a follower of Christ. We all know that, right? Of course, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus if you're not following Jesus Christ. Now, secondly, we define uh, a disciple is the one who fishes for men, Okay. We know that uh, you know, Jesus said to his uh, first disciples, Peter and Andrew, he says, you know, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Okay? And then thirdly, we need to understand that a disciple is not a lone ranger. Okay? There has to be fellowship among believers. And that's the reason why all of us are here. Amen. You are a disciple. All right? So go look at your neighbor and say, you are a disciple. Come on, say that to your seatmate. You are a disciple. Whether you like it or you like it. <laughs> Your reason why you're here because you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, um, over the past uh, two weeks, we've discussed about how it is to follow Christ. Okay? And um, remember, you, know, you don't want to be stuck. We've, remember, remember we've talked about this. You don't want to be stuck in your journey with God. You want to move forward, right? That was the first week. Week one, we talked about spiritual discipline, right? And it's the discipline of reading God's Word. Without the Word of God, it's going to be hard for all of us. And it's a spiritual discipline. Accompanying uh, Word is prayer, fasting, you all know that. But the Word, everybody say the Word. The Word is so very much important, right? Now, uh, the second week, we've talked about essential doctrines, right? We've discussed about the very essential doctrine, which is the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We cannot have just the life and death, right? Jesus had to resurrect or else it's not a complete gospel. We don't have the... The complete doctrine, okay? So we need to be careful. Now, today is about life change. Okay, there we go. Life change. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 16. So we can just read it all together. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Do not be confirmed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Verse 16, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your wisdom. And Lord, we humbly ask for your holy presence today. Lord, open our spiritual eyes, open our hearts. Lord, may the preaching of this word, Lord God, be clear, um, understandable, Lord God, and may it minister to all of us. This we ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So um, our first week, remember, I asked you, we had a a sort of like an activity, right? I asked you, you know, were were you stuck before? Remember that? You shared your experience, right? You were here right? Last week, we've talked about, you know, were you ever lost, right? So in tradition to our uh, preaching series, I have also a question, sort of like a question, but 
It's about this. It's about change. Everybody say change. And this is my question. How many of you like change? Or how many of you don't like change? There's a study that was made about change. And they, they said that only one of nine people will make lifestyle changes. Uh, this is according to Alan Deutschman's book, Change or Die. Yeah, change or die. They made a study. So they, they found out that one out of nine people will make a lifestyle change. Okay, even after they were told that, you know, to make this lifestyle change, like diet, exercise, and all of that, okay, even after they were told about the benefits of a prolonged life, okay, good, good health, and, you know, uh, to reverse the effects of whatever, diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, Despite the fact that they have already explained that it's good for you to change a lifestyle, one out of nine people wanted that change. And most don't really like the change, right? But for here, it's the reverse. But generally speaking, okay, you're an exception, okay? The 7 p.m. service in a, is an exception to this one. But, congratulations, but, but the question is, why, right? Generally speaking, one out of nine people don't like lifestyle changes. And why is that? Okay? Now, what's interesting, um, there is a, in, in business, uh, his name is Peter Baron Stark. Okay? Not Tony Stark. Okay? Peter Baron Stark companies made a study why, okay, why, or the reasons why their employees or people resist change. And it's quite interesting. Okay? First off, they say you know, the top reason is this one, fear of failure. Right? They don't want the change because they feel that they, may, they, they might fail. Okay? The second one is that because, because they are creatures of habit. Okay? It's kind of like you. Diba? Every Sunday, there's this particular spot in this venue that you're always there. Right? Right? Diba? Creatures of habit. Okay? That's why you don't want to change your seats. Dead dito lang ako. Yan na yung upuan ko. Ting 7 p.m. service. Diba? What else? Because there is no obvious need. Some people don't want to change because there's no need. Okay? Or, they say, it's because they can lose control. There's a loss of control. You know, especially if you are a control freak, and then change happens, and then suddenly you're just out of control. You just cannot, you know, fix your schedule. It's kind of like our situation now. Our kids have grown up already. Two of our kids are young adults. Okay, they're not, they're not screaming anymore. <laughs> but we love you, all right? Don't get mad, but it's okay. But they're, you know, my two kids, like they have their own schedule. And it's totally out of control. Like tonight, tonight, dad, can I be somewhere? What? It's Sunday. You're going somewhere? It's kind of like that. You're, the loss of control just change. When there's a change of schedule, what happens? You get, you know, out of control. You know what I mean, right? Okay, good. All right. What else? They are actually close-minded. I've seen close-minded people. Huh? Don't talk to me. Don't ever talk to me. I'm good. Don't talk to me. It's kind of like that. You're close-minded, right? And what else? Some people are unwilling to learn new stuff. Okay, they're just really comfortable there. Again, creatures of habit. But 
what's interesting, okay, what's interesting is this one. And I want you to take note about this. This is really big deal, okay? The reason is this. Fear that the new way may not be better. Fear that the new way may not be better. Okay? Really interesting. Many people could not embrace the new way because they fear that it may not be better, which is totally contrary to what the Bible is saying. Okay? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, remember this favorite verse of ours? ours? Therefore, ever say, therefore. Read this aloud. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a? The old. Behold the? Yeah, we love this, right? Paul mentions that if you are in Christ, you become a new creation. In other words, you have new life, okay? Or in other words, there's life change. Our topic today, there's life change. But sadly, okay, sadly, many Christians today are not willing to embrace this new creation. Okay, because they, they fear that this new life may not be better from their old life. What do I mean by this? It's this one. When Christians begin to look at the cost of following Jesus Christ, they think twice to embrace the change in their lives. What do I mean by this again? Okay. Here, here it is. When Christians see okay, the cost of following Christ like trials, persecutions, um, hardships, troubles, temptations, you name it, all the negative things that could ever happen to a Christian, the Christian will think twice. Akala ko ba Lord? If I accept you as my Lord and Savior, everything will be given to me as well. Kaloba, when I seek first the kingdom of God and all His righteousness, everything will be okay. Diba? Many of us kind of think that way. You know, when I, when I got born again, first time, it seems like, it seems like the world was against me. Okay? I suddenly lost everything. Really, not at least I had my wife, my family. Okay naman yun. Just the business. Everything in the business. Seems like, you know, it wasn't working well. See, when Christians begin to look at the cost of following Jesus Christ, they kind of think, Lord, is it really better to be called a, a Christian? Would it really be better for me to follow you? Some Christians, when they begin to realize what they need to give up for Jesus, they think twice. Suddenly they think, ah, wait a minute. Is this life change that Jesus is doing? It means that I have to give up my time. It means I have to be here every Sunday. I have to be in a small group. That means I have to do devotions. Or am I going to give up my money to the tithes and offering? Diba? Yeah, you know, some, sometimes, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of my thinking before. Parang scam ata to ah. And Lord, are you sure I should give my 
is it going to the right, you know, wrong concept? How about relationships? Okay? You mean to say if I, became, if I become born again, that means I have to give up my adulterous affair? Huh? Is that the love of my life? Is hindi? It's kind of like that. And it's awfully quiet now, right? But there is a cause to follow Jesus Christ. And many Christians today, okay, many Christians today love the idea that Jesus becomes their Savior, but is not the Lord over their life. When they see that the cost to follow Jesus Christ will cost them everything, they started to, oops, um, can I just attend the worship service na lang? You know, that's okay. I like lifting up their hands. But when, when it comes to, to really seeing what it will entail for you to follow Jesus Christ, that's the time people back up or Christians back up. And they would say inevitably, this life change is not for me. There are people like that. But not you. Remember, you're the exception, right? You like change, right? You like the life change. Praise God. I'm the right crowd. Okay. And then the Apostle Peter, okay, we're talking about one of the great, the, if not the greatest apostle, Peter, okay, he was the first one. We, know, we all know Peter, right? Actually, this whole series is based on the life of Peter and how he addressed the church. Now, the apostle Peter knew that this new life in Christ will really be put to the test. Why? Because he himself experienced the test, the cost to follow Christ, the, the, the trials, the, the, the persecution. And he wrote this letter, 1 Peter, was written to the early Christians, not just a specific church, but to the early Christians. In fact, not just to the early, but even to us now. He writes this letter because he wanted to encourage Christians all over the world, whether it was their time and the future time, and even now, Peter wanted to write to encourage them that we, our faith will all be put to the test. So let's read the first chapter in chapter 1, 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. Peter, okay, the very first thing says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to so those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God, meaning God knew this, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. And He says this, May grace and peace be multiplied. Why was that? The early Christians were being persecuted and they were dispersed all over these places that they needed encouragement. Okay? Peter prayed for this grace and peace to be multiplied. There's a reason why he was praying for a multiplication of grace. Why? Because it's tough to be a Christian way back then. Okay? They were running for their lives. Are you running from, your, from, from anybody? No, nobody, right? Maybe the dog, but, but they were running for their lives. Let's look at verse 6 and 7. It says there, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So take note. These trials were no ordinary trials. In fact, it resulted to grief. Grief 
is sorrow. Extreme sorrow. Have you ever, have you ever had the chance to experience extreme sorrow in your life? If you have not, these people, the early Christians, were experiencing great sorrow to the point that it grieved them. They, wa- they were crying. That's what it meant. In verse 7, he says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what? If we were in their shoes, okay, if I were in their shoes, I'd probably walk out. Honestly. I mean, think about, yes, me, Pastor Saul, yes. Nagtampurin ako kay Lord. When I was going through major testings in our, in our family life, when, when we had nothing, when we were, you know, we were praying for finance, it was there. It wasn't there. And I wanted to give up. And I said, Lord, I have been serving you. I've been praying. You know, I've, I've been a pastor. But, you know, time came when, when we had some financial problems. And I wanted to give up right away. That's why Peter was saying, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter mentions that the genuineness of our faith will be tested. How genuine is your faith? And it can only be seen when it is tested. Our faith will be tested. Whether you like it or you like it, (laughs) our faith will be tested. That's the reality. In other words, our new life, this life change that Jesus gave to us will be tested. And it's not it's not a freak of nature that you're going through major trials in your life. It's not. Jesus said in John, He says that in this life you will have many trials or troubles, right? But He says, fear not. Everybody say, fear not. For I, am, for I have overcome the world. Our Christianity will be tested. Now, here's my statement. In the face of many trials, troubles, and even temptations, not discount the fact about temptations, how can we continue to live out our life change in Jesus Christ? That's the question we want to answer tonight. Amen? So according to our main text, okay? According to, my, to our main text in, uh, in 1 Peter, right? There are, okay, for the record, this is the first time I'll be doing this here at 7 p.m. service. You have, the, you have this history in the making I will have four points, okay? Usually three, eh. So, ngayon, four points. So, okay lang? Isa lang naman, additional lang naman to one, eh. Alright? We need it, alright? Are you still here? Okay. So, point number one, okay? In other words, in the face of many trials, troubles, and even temptations, so how can we continue to live out our life change in Christ? And according to Peter, the first thing is this, having the right mindset. Having the right mindset. In, in verse 13, our main verse, okay, it says there, therefore, okay, meaning this is it. This is the conclusion of everything. Therefore, okay, the premise was they were born again, right? Facing many trials, right? For something good for them in the, in the future, what's happening now? Therefore, this is what you need to do, 
right? He says, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. And what that really means is having the right mindset. It's very important that if you are to walk with Christ, if you are going to walk this journey called Christianity, we need to have the right mindset. We have, we have to have the right thinking. Peter says, you have to prepare. Okay? It does not just come to you, ooh, I know it already. How a wish, right? If you go to school, you just go there, you did not study, and then the test comes to you and says, whew, I know it right away. That's an amazing thing, but it's not. Peter says you have to prepare. We need to prepare our minds for action. So when we prepare our minds, it means we prepare our minds to learn. Are you still here? What is your mind for? It is to learn, right? We prepare our minds to learn, to grow, to mature. How? By reading His Word and understanding the work that God is doing. Now, here's the truth. Life change does not happen automatically. Are you still here? It is not automatic. When you were born again, okay, it's not automatic that your whole person is changed. How I wish, right? How I wish. You know, the first time I, I got saved, I got baptized, guess what? The following day, I sinned. No, re- really. I was so discouraged because, what? Lord, I ko ba born again na ako? Napagbabatayas na ako? The following day, I still got mad. I still got angry. And I sinned. Why? Well, because being born again is, you know, does not really change you completely. What was happening, okay? In other words, this, this, um, your life change, okay? Your life change is not automatic. What happened was the change that happened to you was a positional change. In other words, from a sinner, when you met Jesus Christ, you got born again, yes, you were changed. You were forgiven from all your sins. And now He calls you now son and daughter. That's what happened. But guess what? We are in the flesh. We're still living here, right? That's why that following day after my baptism, I sinned. I realized, I realized that God is still working in my life. It's called sanctification. It's called, you know, um, trusting the Lord to finally complete Jesus in all of us. That's what was happening. Okay? Why? Because we, we are, by nature, okay? By nature, we are all selfish people, right? Right? Now, when we continue to learn about the Word of God, about Jesus Christ, about God Himself, what was, what's happening, we learn now to understand that, hey, before I was selfish, but now, no, I'm generous now. I want to give. You want to go the opposite spirit. Are you still here? Before, you have, we didn't have any concept of giving our tithes and giving over the tithes, which is our offering. No concept at all, Right? We didn't even think about helping other people. Why? Because we were concerned about ourselves. But because you met Jesus Christ, what's happening? God is renewing something in all of us. That's the amazing thing. Steve Cole, one of our, one of our pastor, American pastor, says that what you think determines how you live. 
That's why Peter says, be sober-minded. You know what that means? Don't be drunk. To be sober. Because when you're drunk, you cannot think straight. How many of you have ever been drunk before? Don't, don't lift up your hands. <laughs> but you know when you're drunk, you don't have a clear mind. Peter was saying, be sober-minded, meaning you ought to be restrained. There has to be control, a discipline. In other words, what he's saying, if this is true, what you think determines how you live, then you need to discipline how you think. Many times in our lives, we get into all sorts of trouble because we lose that restraint. We give in. Diba? Pagkalasing ka. You give in. Pare. You give in. You lose control. Sorry, obvious ba? Nung araw. Hindi naman ako lasinggero. Steve Cole also says that deal with sin on the thought level. Deal with sin on the thought level. If we don't deal with sin in our thoughts, then we give the devil control over our lives. Because sin starts here. It didn't happen just like that. Sin, the devil, is just waiting out there, waiting to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's why we need to deal with that sin through how we think. We have to have the right mindset. Do not lose restraint. We need to judge every wicked thought, okay? Anything that will pop out in our minds. We need to, to arrest that. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul says, We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion, race against the knowledge of God, and take what? Every thought captive to obey Christ. So if sin is just right in your head, kind of like you're driving in traffic and binastos ka ng driver do sa kanan at kaliwa yung ganun, papatayin ko na to. And take captive of it. Okay? Control. Okay? You don't want that, right? So relax. If you have a problem with driving, okay, don't drive. Unless in the story. In other words, we don't give the enemy a foothold. Amen. When sin is already there, take captive of it. Second is this, right motivation. So how can, we, how can we live this life, this life change in following Christ? You have to have the right motivation. No motivation, no action, right? If you're not motivated to exercise, you just, you just don't, right? But if there is a motivation, okay? Like you're looking at your high school picture and you says, Wow, galing no, no. I'm going to be like that again. So you have a motivation, right? It's a different. But the thing is, Peter says it differently. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. This is what he says. This is the, the right motivation. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He didn't say, you know, uh, set your hope uh, half of it on the grace of God. No, fully. Everybody say fully. In other words, we are motivated in our walk with Jesus Christ because there is this grace. And this grace is not just the saving grace that we received when we got born again. It is what we call a future grace that someday 
we will meet our Creator when we see Jesus Christ in all His majesty, in all His glory. He's, he no longer becomes the, 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 the lamb that was slain. He's going to be the, 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 the lion, right? The king of Judah, the Lord of lords. And that's the hope. That is where we put our hope. That is where we put our motivation to continue and fight this fight of faith. Because we know, okay, Peter knew what they were going through, the church. They were going through trials. They were about to be killed. And he says, hey, set your hope fully on the grace that is to come. Don't worry about this life because there is a life better than this. Amen. Can you give God a big hand for that? <laughs> Hallelujah. And here's the truth. God has something better, if, if not the best, for us. This life that we have is temporary. How many of you know that? How many of you know that this time, our age, it's, it's just moving so fast? Okay? No matter how many youth potions you drink, Okay? Bumata ka nga, di ba? Pero nabangga ka naman, namatay ka. Because this is not, you need to understand, this is not where we put our hope. If you're putting your hope, your motivation in our life, there's nothing really here. Everything here is temporary. But God, who is eternal now, gives us something better than this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, this is where I put my confidence okay at least i'm not alone therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us you see the great news the good news of this all is that we're not we're not following something that has nothing to give you're not following Jesus Christ and there's nothing out there. In fact, a lot of witnesses who have gone ahead of us look to this promise. They are actually finishing this race called Christianity. Our Christian walk are following Jesus. That's where we're going. That's why we can find security that even today there are actually people who see the same what we see the end of it having the right motive thirdly is this having the right attitude now what's this attitude hey first peter in verse 14 says as obedient what children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance peter was saying our attitude should be just like an obedient child okay it didn't say there as obedient servants but children what was Peter saying? Peter was saying, it's about a relationship. You are sons and daughters of the Almighty God. We have been adopted in His kingdom. I love that. It's no longer a slave. It's no longer a servant. But you look at it now because now I am following Christ. Not because I have to, but because I have a relationship are you still here? I have a relationship with my God. I have a relationship now with the Father. That's why being obedient is not an issue for me. You know, 
I have a son, he's 21 years old. And one thing I know about my son is that he is obedient. Even if, even if he, he feels bad about my decisions. Okay? No, really. Okay? I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, he's really obedient. We, he wanted to leave. He wanted to go drive somewhere with his friends. I said, uh, not today, my son. And he said, okay, dad, because you said so. Why? Because we have a relationship. It's a loving father and son relationship. And Peter was saying, this ought to be our attitude. Just like a child who obeys his father, his parent. Why? Because the child would trust his father. That it is for his own good that he's not going. Right? And that's his heart. And what happens, what happens, the effect of this, if as an obedient child of God, what happens, you're secured. You're confident that God has the best interest for you. That's why you obey Him. Are you still here? You obey the Word of God. What did he say also? It says, as obedient children, do not be what? Conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Okay? Truth is, when we were sinning before, we were ignorant about our sin. In fact, nobody had to tell us that you are sinning. No, we just do it naturally. Right? We were ignorant about it, but not anymore. Not anymore. You are now a child of God. Different. It says, do not conform anymore. Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. What? But be transformed by the renewal of of your mind. Again, he talks about the mind. Everything is here. They say the last battle in life really would be the battle of the mind. Do you know that the enemy is battling with your mind? That's where it is. Why right? do not be conformed anymore to the world, but be transformed, transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You read the Word. You go back to the first spiritual discipline. We read the Word of God. After all, amazing thing is this, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What is it? It is what? Good? What? Sorry? Acceptable and? Perfect. After all, God's will for you is good, acceptable, or pleasing, and it is perfect. Amen? And number four, which is our last point. Number four, you see? Four. Hey, everybody say four. So what was the first one? Right mindset. Number two? Motivation, right. Number three? Right attitude. And lastly is this. Right pursuit. Question. What are we really trying to pursue in life today? What are you pursuing today? Is it a job? A career? Business? Money? Fame? Sana maging artista ka? Power? Fortune? Or pleasure? Peter says this in verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Peter gives us the bottom line of everything. Why we need to have the right mindset, the right motivation, the right attitude, he gives it here because of the thing that you have ought to pursue. 
You know what that is? It's about holiness. In other words, we are called to be holy. The whole verse actually is hinged on this. It's about holiness. He's saying that we ought to pursue holiness. We are holy. You know why? Holy means, holy means, get this, holy means that you are set apart. You are set apart for God, for the purposes of God. God chose you, just like Israel, right? A chosen nation. God chose Israel, set them apart. Holy means setting you apart for His purpose. No longer should you be in the dark world of sin. I'm setting you apart to be mine. That's what God is saying. In fact, the Apostle Paul addressed the church, okay? In his writings, Paul addresses the church as saints, okay? How many saints do we have here? Amen. Alright, don't worry, okay? Saints, nowadays, medyo iba yung mindset ng saints, kailangan ka, no? But the Bible talks about saints as us, the church. Saints means the same thing. Set apart. Holy. That's why you are called saints. You are set apart for the purpose of God. But yet, Paul, when he addresses the, the saints to the saints of Laodicea, the saints of Thessalonica, to the saints of Corinth, or like that, he would rebuke it. Why? Because he knows that the holiness is not yet there. In other words, they're not yet pure. They're born again, they're saved, but they're not yet there. All of us are going through a journey. That's why we need to move forward. We cannot be stuck. We cannot be lost. Amen? And we have to continue the change. So how many of you want that change? Can I see again? How many says that they love change? Oh, that's all of us, right? In other words, we don't belong to the world anymore. We belong to God. See, that's the bottom line. Because you belong to God now, we ought to be holy. Right? We ought to be holy. In fact, in verse 16, he continues, Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And this is coming from God in Leviticus. He was, he was addressing the nation of Israel. He says, you ought to be holy, for I am holy. God is holy. In fact, there is no description, there's no character of God that weighs heavily in scriptures than His holiness. You will not see it in the Bible that God is, you know, God is love, love, love. God is everlasting, everlasting, everlasting. God is Alpha, 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 or Omega, Omega, Omega. There's nothing like that. But what does the Bible say? He's holy. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, you will only see this. And Isaiah refers, it says, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. What was Isaiah thinking? When Isaiah had a vision and was taken up in the heavenlies, what happened was he saw God in all His majesty and glory. He saw the creatures worshiping Him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's who our God is. It's who He is. And, and it's not a surprise, it's not a surprise why Peter was saying, you ought to be like God, holy. 
You know why? Because our original plan, if you go back to Genesis when God made man, God said, that let, us, God said let us make man in our image and in our likeness. What was, he, what was he saying? He was saying, let's make man like us, holy. If you understand who God is, if there's only one thing you need to understand about God, God is really holy. He is absolutely separate from sin, from darkness. That's not who He is. In fact, our, our existence, you know, we were made to, to reflect or mirror the holiness of God. It's an amazing thought. Think about that. It's an amazing thought. All of us, everything that we ever do is hinged on reflecting the holiness of God. Problem was, we were separated because of our sin. That's why we are not holy. And it took Jesus Christ, who is holy of all, coming down, reaching out to us. That's the amazing thing. That's why we are called Christians today, is because we ought to be Christ-like. Right? In other words, we follow Jesus because we want to be like Him. But the truth is, we cannot be as holy as God. We all know that, right? We're not. But at least we need to have the right pursuit in life, and that, to, that is to pursue the holiness of God. doesn't really matter if we don't become like God. We're not supposed to be like to become God, but at least to be like Him, like His holiness. That's the goal. That's why we are created to become holy. At the end, this is why we born again really are called Christ-like Christians. Let me end with, with this quote, almost ending. Leonard Ravenhill says that the greatest miracle that God can do today is to take an unholy man out of an unholy world and make that man holy and put him back into that unholy world and keep him holy in it. It's an amazing thing. Amen? So here's my main point. All the right things that we did. It's his main point. See, a life changed by Jesus is really a life of holiness. It's really as simple as that. When we were worshiping uh, tonight, I just couldn't help but weep and cry before God because the truth is, God's holiness cannot even touch anything about us. In other words, the character of God being holy, okay, He cannot stand sin. I, if you remember, if you were here in, in, in my other preachings, and I was saying that take an absolute, you know, pure water and put 0.001 cc of canal water, will you drink it? Right? You will not. Right? That's canal water. Kahit na konti-konti lang, di ba? 0.000000001% of dirty water, put it in clean, absolute, pure water, will you drink it? And your answer was no, right? That's who our God is. It's a poor illustration, but understand that it's, it's who our God is. I was, I was weeping and I was crying to God because I cannot fathom, I cannot understand how a holy God 
who cannot stand sin was able to reach down to all of us and save us from our unholiness. Just cannot understand it. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, as I end the scripture, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is what? Holy. I will dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God is a holy God, cannot stand sin, but He chooses to dwell in human form so that you and I can regain back what we've lost in Genesis, to regain back the image and likeness of God. That's who our God is. I was, I was weeping and crying and just thinking about how good and awesome, amazing our God is. The love that He has for us is unimaginable because He has every right just to annihilate all humanity, all of us, because of sin. How many of you here are sinless? You've never sinned before. All of us are sinners. And if God had His way with this justice, all of us should have been dead and that's it. No more existence. We should not exist anymore. But yet, because of the powerful love of God, all of us are here. All of us receive this love of God. And despite the holiness of God, despite that He cannot stand sin, He made a way through His Son, Jesus Christ, for us. That's why we can worship God today. And our job, really, is to pursue His holiness. I mean, if there's anything at all you need to understand about our preaching, it's just pursuing Jesus Christ. Knowing Him, understanding Him, growing in His holiness. If you have that in big measure every step of your life, every single month, year, until you grow old, you are actually going and going and going, pursuing, moving forward to knowing your God. Amazing thing happens. You inevitably reflect the glory of God. That's the whole purpose of our existence. To see the holiness of God in all of us. We're thankful for that. I am thankful for that. I'm not yet there. Okay, We're not yet there. We're progressing until the, the time that Jesus Christ will be revealed. But I set my hope fully in the grace that will be given to us at the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is where I put my hope. No longer on the things of this world, but on that hope. Everything about this world is just bonus. It's just bonus. The house you have today, bonus. The cars that you drive today, bonus. The family have the bonus. That's even nothing compared to what we have in eternity. Nothing compares to eternity. Amen. Let's just bow down our heads and pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord God, that life change is really pursuing your holiness. Lord, we may not be perfect. We may have faults. We may have failures today. But Lord, thank you, Lord God, that you have not stopped 
sanctifying us. You have not stopped changing our hearts. In fact, I want to pray for you if, if, if you're still in sin today, if you have grieved the heart of God, if you're still living an unholy life, you know what the Lord says, I dwell in the high and holy place, but, I also, but also with Him who has a contrite and lowly spirit. If you will just humble yourself tonight and just say, God, I have sinned against you. Would you forgive me? That is you, with, with nobody looking around, everybody close their eyes. That is you. I want you to lift up your hand before God. This is before you and God. Just lift it up before God. That's me, Lord. Yes, I see those. Just lift it up. There's no shame. There's no shame. God wants to, to bring His holiness upon us. And there is no shame when we come before God. We're all our sinners. And just come before God and say, God, I have sinned against you. I am an unholy person. The things that I have done. I'm born again now. I'm a Christian, but yet I have, I'm still in sin. Just lift it up before God. Lord, you see our hands. And even for those who are not lifting up their hands, Lord God, Lord, I pray, Lord, let your holiness come. Let your forgiveness come. Thank you, Lord God, that you will dwell in men who have broken hearts before you. So, Lord, thank you, Lord God, that your arm is not too short to save us. Your ear is not too dull to hear our cry. And Lord, you came so that you can forgive our sins. On that cross, you died for our sins. So Lord, we receive your forgiveness today. And Lord, thank you, Lord God. That by faith, if you're lifting up your hand, just say this with me. By faith, I receive your forgiveness. And Lord, thank you that you will finish the work that your holiness will follow me the rest of your life. My life, rather. So, Lord, thank you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I just want to pray. Just bow down our heads. Um, this may be you. You know that God is calling you to a holy life and you've not given your life to our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to take this time for you to pray with me. It's okay. You don't have to lift up your hand. Just Say this with me, this prayer, if that is you. If you want to receive His full holiness, His grace, His love, just lift it up before God. Say, Lord Jesus, I come before you a sinner needing a Savior. I understand that your death on the cross gave way for the forgiveness of my sin. So today, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord and believe in my heart that He rose from the dead giving me eternal life. I, today, I turn away from all my sins and follow You, Lord Jesus, for the rest of my life pursuing Your holiness. Bless me, Lord God, with your holy presence today. May I journey this journey called Christianity, knowing that you are my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.